Welcome to the Architects of Ambition, the podcast where dreams take shape and futures are built. I'm Lyndon Dover, your guide on this journey of discovery and design, brought to you by Weaver, the online platform that's connecting contractors with the visionaries of architecture. Every episode, we delve into the minds of those who dare to imagine and create the spaces we live, work and play in. Let's get started. Natalie, hi. Thanks so much for being on the show. Great to see you this afternoon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Not at all. Um, well, look, before we jump into the topic of what we're terming the Green Revolution, UK small practices, building a path to a sustainable future, I'd love to know a bit more about yourself, Natalie, and how NB was started and how you got into sustainability. I started thinking about going back around 2013, so about 10 years ago. I'd been a full-time mum for a, a bit, and, and when I went back, I wasn't quite sure what angle I wanted to take. Did I want to go back into a big practice? Did I want, you know, how 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 should I start back up in architecture? I had stopped for over 10 years, so it was quite a long period of time. I had done a bit of furniture design in the in sort of halfway through when I lived in Jamaica for a bit. And in that in doing that exercise, I started looking at local building materials and a little bit along the sustainability line. So I, I'd l- looked at that a little bit in respect of, you know, we, I was building things with bamboo, bamboo strips, local timbers, things like that. And so when I went back into it, yeah, I wasn't sure. And I went met up with a friend who said, if I went back into a practice, having been out of a practice for a really long time, I'd have 26-year-olds telling me what to do. And I didn't fancy that. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so then um, I decided I would try and do my own thing. And the easiest way, I guess, is to start small. So I started, you know, doing, uh, you know, a few family members and friends wanted to have some small things done for them. And so I started, you know, exploring early stage work for them. And I think my very first commission was to do somebody's window. <laughs> I wanted to replace a window and I managed to get them planning permission to re- replace a window. So it was really, really small. And then in around 2015, I uh, was watching a program about the climate and it was the first time I'd really paid attention to it. I hadn't, you know, I'd sort of, as most, as you know, most people, I knew it wasn't a topic of discussion. We weren't, you know, not the way it is now. Um, there was the awareness seemed really low, and my awareness was really low. But I watched this program, realized that it was quite serious, and that it could be quite quick within my children's lifetime. So then I went, uh, and then I happened to two weeks later to go to. Um, what was called eco build at the time which is now called future build and i found a course in retrofitting at that uh, uh, at the event and um that immediately took you know uh, i became immediately excited at the idea that i could do something with my practice that could contribute to the overall problem that we had in the world and that i that my work could have some inherent value that I wasn't just 
I wasn't I was, I was making more out of the architecture than I could than I had considered before I could do something with it that had real long lasting impact and value very long answer. no it's great <laughs> I really like that answer uh considered uh, I think that's fantastic and that um journey obviously you had to undertake a lot of learning and discovery on how to have impact as an architect um, through your sustainable uh, designs. And thinking about that, in terms of your peers, uh, how do you perceive the current state of knowledge and awareness amongst small practices in the UK when it comes to sustainable architecture? It's difficult to know in some ways because I work from a I work from home, so I'm not surrounded by my peers. So I kind of, I guess I kind of assumed lots of other people were doing it. But as I've started to really uh, be more proactive in marketing myself and talking about what I'm doing, I'm getting a lot of respect from other people. A lot of people are like other practitioners are interested in what I'm doing. They telling they're telling me that I'm influencing them. I've had some really nice thank yous from small companies that I really really respect. I even had one first. You know, I've been told that there's one company where they've told me they've shown my my talks to their whole practice. It's a small practice, but still they showed them all. They showed them my talk, and then one of them wanted a selfie with me. So all sorts of things that I, you know, I just, I was just on my own, just on, you know, I was just on my course of what I thought would be of value, and my set of beliefs, which are, in a way, when you really believe something, it's easier to convince people to do it because you really believe in what you're doing. And so I was just going along that sort of, that's my route. That's what I want to do. Uh, that's my focus. I'm just taking one step at a time to get, you know, to to move forward. So it's been a surprise to me that other people see what I'm doing as, you know, a little bit more unusual. Um, but then the other thing is I've also joined ACAN, which is Architectures, Architects Climate Action Network, and on there, I found a lot of like-minded people. There's, you know, there's a lot of architects on there and discussing doing things, the same type of work that I'm doing. And some of them are new to it and some have done some already. So there it is happening. But I guess I'm one of the people on the forefront of it. But it, it, but it's difficult to know exactly because I'm, I'm a little bit isolated. And, and you have a, a specialism in terms of a lot of what you do is about natural materials and I know that a lot of sustainable materials are natural or derived from natural but yours are specifically if, if I'm right in thinking you like to work with projects that are focused around natural materials. Yeah that's right um, one of the things I found out when I was studying um, retrofitting was that um, the uh, use of uh, wood fibre insulation was found to work best with period properties and that there'd been lots of experiments with all types of different uh, insulations and the best results had been with wood fibre or cork. It had all been done quite scientifically. They'd, you know, they'd put monitors behind the, bet between the materials, between, say, the brick wall and the, uh, the wood fibre. 
to assess at the point where they joined and then they were able to monitor the effect of this over a number of years and see you know if there were any problems with moisture and so I, ha I happen also to naturally have a set of values that are around health and nature that are part of my upbringing. My mum was into health foods and, um, you know, my when when I moved to Jamaica, the first thing I sought out was to try and find the health food shop <laughs> to get the nice natural foods that I could get. So um, I'm, you know, just it all runs through me. It's not, it's, it's a set of values that, so when I found out that wood fibre was, you know, a good material, I was delighted. And then on top of that, it because it's got because it deals with moisture, it's really good for the internal air quality, and uh, it stops because you've got um, it being vapor open, and you've got the lime um, lime plaster that helps the moisture to pass through the the material. And the whole thing to do with retrofitting is once you start to use those materials, you really, really massively improve the indoor air quality. So that was another bonus for me to start using materials like that. And then on top of that, I then also discovered, so there's sort of layers of it being good. And then the next thing was that, of course, being it was um, made out of a grown material. It's absorbing carbon when it's growing. And you put it into the building and then it's uh, that carbon that's gone into that material is then locked into the building for the duration of um, for the duration of its time in the building. And, and, and so instead of that material going back into, uh, say, it might be burnt or it might rot, it's and then the carbon's re-released into the air, it's locked in the building. And so it's termed to be carbon sequestering. And so that was the sort of final layer, the sort of the icing on the cake of it being an excellent type of material to use. And that all the, all the grown materials have that um, real added bonus of being, you know, good for air quality, good for the planet, good for the, per the person's health living in it. Um, it's just so many bonuses that it's, it's just a fabulous thing to be working with. Brilliant. Well, now, uh, and um, I can feel your passion about these uh, certain products. And before you're able to put these amazing products into uh, the designs, you know, and actually build them out, are you finding, are you coming across challenges um, of, I don't know whether it's knowledge gaps or whether it's you having to persuade clients perhaps to, to think more sustainably what, what are the key challenges that small practices like yourself face when trying to integrate sustainable materials like the ones you just described I don't feel like I particularly face it with convincing clients because I've got so much passion and I understand the values of it I'm able to explain those values to them and I and, and the overall long-term benefits for them and their building um, I've heard of other people who haven't been able to convince clients um, that um, it's, but I think in a way I seek out the clients who are going to be convinced by having a questionnaire at the beginning and I put it right there in my questionnaire. This is the way I work um, and it might be more expensive, but are you prepared to uh, go down this route? Because 
because that's the way I work. So you, if you're engaging with me, you're engaging with that. I find it very difficult to be instructed to put, to get rid of all the natural materials and move to um, more artificial, chemi chemically based materials. I find that hard to do. And, and I don't know the deep, you know, because I stopped for such a long time, I relearned with these practices. I didn't relearn didn't learn to do the detailing you know like the detailing that I did 20 years ago when I was working in a, in an office is very far back in my memory and so I it, so the de I sort of relearned my trade 10 years later with all these kinds of details so if somebody asked me to build a normal lock and brick wall with a cavity I would find that difficult to do <laughs> fair enough and and with that i mean there's a lot there's a lot of details and a lot of new materials to keep on top of i've heard from other architects that um running a busy practice trying to think about when the next project's coming in being on site you know wearing all the different hats you have to wear as an architect keeping on top and up to date can be a challenge do you find that as well or, or um oh yes absolutely <laughs> it's an abs it's definitely a challenge I'm trying to expand so that I can give the um, information production to I, I give some of out some of the information production, uh, but I'm trying to expand so that I that part is taken on by, um, you know, people who can just dedicate their whole days to that because I need to balance it out with all sorts of other things um, like getting more more work in and marketing mm. and um talking on podcasts and yes indeed fun takes things up like your that. time <laughs> and, and getting selfies as well you know getting selfies. <laughs> <laughs> apart from that element you know, is there anything else that you think you're facing or you're coming up against you're trying to build your I suppose repeatable way of of undertaking sustainable architecture is something you're coming against that that is a challenge do you find Natalie yeah so I think my and I you know I think there is a skills gap there's a skills gap in the industry for contractors um, who haven't seen yet seen this as a really great opportunity. I think it is a really great opportunity for them. There aren't many contractors who can do it and you can almost count them on one hand in London, maybe, maybe just two now, two hands is possibly. I'm finding a few more at the moment, but you know, if you think how many contractors are out there in London and there's only a few doing it, it's such it seems to me like such an opportunity to start learning to do these things. I do think it's a really great opportunity for contractors to be taking this on board. There are very few uh, based in London that are doing it, um, you know, between five and ten probably across London. If you think about how many domestic projects there are that are being built, um, you know, if if they have that skill, it's a very it's a skill that's in need at the moment. Um, I, I think there are, you know, architects are really starting to look at this as, as a solution. And so they're going to be looking for builders who can do it. And I heard I was speaking to um, somebody from the Passive House uh, magazine. Who also want to talk to me about what I'm doing and they basically said that um, you know retrofit is the future that they they don't they they see that as 
into the future for architecture. It's a really big future and it's really worth tapping into it. It's something we have to do. It's, it's you know, there's 26 million houses that need retrofitting. It's a business opportunity for people who are building it because there's a skills shortage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've both seen that um, together when you uh, tried to use Weaver to, to source contractors for a, a few of your projects. I think it's in particular the smaller and what I mean by that is the sort of below 750k, let's say, budget, that sort of range where you've got contractors who are, who are used to working traditionally and um, but are maybe open to learning new skills, but haven't got the credentials or the in-depth knowledge of um, they haven't become a retrofit coordinator, perhaps, or they haven't understood that the real innards of what it takes to have the right air tightness or the right uh, uh, your thermal bridging or whatever's required to to adhere to your design it's very hard to teach on site mm. um because if they haven't got any experience of it and they're learning it for the first time on site they won't necessarily have priced it correctly and then they're potentially losing money by the fact that they underestimated how much more complex it is because it is more complex it is this it is building it I, I see it as like, um, you know, they, they a lot of the small contractors can get a really good final finish, but the build up is not necessarily, it's not, it, it hasn't got that same quality all the way through. And this, it requires the same level of quality all the way through that the insulation is put on in pretty much perfectly with no gaps that the, the taping, you know, they're, they're not. There's never any taping. There isn't consideration for steels that are passing through the insulation. That isn't normally considered. But a steel, you know, metal is a highly conductive thing. And so the heat just runs down that steel and out of the building. And it also could potentially attract uh, moisture, warm, moist air, which would condense uh, somewhere in the building and then could potentially cause damage. So those kinds of things aren't really considered generally. So that's what makes, you know, retrofit a different set of skills and a different way of thinking about doing the building work. Um, there are some small um, courses where you can actually send, you know, apart from doing the bigger course, I had a, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to get contractors interested and talking to lots of different contractors for the retrofits that I have in South London, there are actually more who can do it in North London. So there's one who's showing interest and I've sent him a whole list of courses that he could look at. It's But it's also then having the time and space to be able to afford to go and do a course, which can be harder for a smaller contractor. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'd love to talk to you about that further. And um, I've got an, a, uh, a my own sheet that I've been sending out to contractors who are interested in getting more information and getting upskilled in this area. So maybe we can collaborate on that. Um, <laughs> I did actually use some of the ones you put onto ACAM the other day. So um... good, I'm glad. Well, look, well, let's let's try and um, get a get a list out so we can start promoting it. But we've we've talked about some of the challenges today. Um, now thinking about some of the solutions, I know you've touched on some materials already, but specifically thinking about you know pre-war London stock, large part of of what we do in retrofitting, and are there sort of significant um, uh, cost-effective strategies that you use or innovative ways of designing um, that you're finding helping your clients 
bring it in within some sort of budget i know that obviously you say in your questionnaire that it's going to cost more if you go down this natural way of building but are there things that you're you're starting to develop whether it be the use of materials or ways of designing that are helping your clients bring it in within a a, a, a budget that works that tends to be a challenge with most uh, building projects I, um, and i'd say that it, that the challenge of that has increased in the last few years because prices have gone up so much. Um, so what I've what I've sort of been doing more recently is looking at build ups of materials and trying to price the pounds per square meter cost of a particular material and assessing the cost, you know, assessing the effect of them on the cost of the material quite early on. Um, I'm also starting to do retrofit assessments, um, which I was doing, but not in the in the sort of uh, really in the way that is done by the industry. So there's a, this whole house plan that gets developed and put out by the industry, the retrofit industry. And I always assumed that a whole house plan meant a drawing, but it doesn't. A whole house plan is a plan as in a written plan, thinking about how you might execute a project. So I've looked at some of the whole house plans that are out in the industry uh, and they, ha they have a nice benefit to them in that they look at a set of measures that you might put, of the build, put on the building and they cost them. And it's a bit like a sort of upgraded EPC report with, a, with lots of costs against uh, what you might do. Um, so I'm starting to use that to to help manage course, uh, manage budgets so that right from the outset, they get to see the cost of the retrofit element and using the materials that we're going to use. And because I always also believed in that the whole house plan should include a plan. That's what I'm including. <laughs> Great. Um, because a plan is in a drawn plan, because I, I uh, the feedback I've had is that people aren't really sure what to do with all the words and actually a drawing is quite helpful. Yeah, paints a, a you know, what's the phrase again? Uh, a picture paints a thousand words, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. No, I think that's a, a, a great tactic to get people on board as well and, and give them your own takeoffs, your own rates of, of cost um, early on. I think that must help the client enormously get on side and, and really get into the heart of the project. Yeah. Okay, well, we've talk, we talked a lot about sort of what you're up to. What do you think our government could be doing or what could they do be start doing more of that would help small practices like yourself um, really promote sustainable architecture? Um, so um, there's a number of things that they could be doing, but I, I'll start with an easy win, in my opinion, um, is that um, when you when you uh, retrofit a building, um, the energy measures are now able to be rated at zero percent VAT, and um, there's no real link to performance. So you might put them in, you might put the measures in, but if they're put in incorrectly, there's no, uh, you know, you can lose the benefit of putting them in. So if you had um, 
a system where have, doing a retrofit project the, to encourage people, it reduced the VAT overall for the whole project, not just the energy measures. Like you include retrofit in your project, the VAT goes down. It could go down to five or ten percent or zero percent, but probably the government needs to make some money out of the, the project. So, but if it reduced then that would give people an incentive to do the retrofit aspect. But if it was linked with performance, which um, ensures the quality of the build, that its own, you know, so for example, with um, getting a certificate for an NFIT project, which is a, a retrofit uh, equivalent to Passive House, to get that certificate, you have to prove the performance. You have to prove it through photographic, um, a photographic record of the details. You have to prove that you've dealt with the cold bridges. You have to show the designs. You have to prove that you've done it in order to get that certificate. Now, if you had to prove that you'd retrofitted correctly in order to get the VAT, the reduced VAT, that would really, really uh, improve the um, skill of the work the incentive would be there because you can by well, you know everyone everyone wants the VAT saving there would be a great incentive there and if you made it that retrofit it that gave a blanket VAT saving across the whole project that would really I think that would be a really good thing to do that would be my recommendation one of them I like that I'd back apart that. From that apart from that 150,000 uh, pounds is probably what should be being given out towards projects uh, because that's what they've done in Italy and as a result there's been a huge take up I don't know if it's pounds there, it's probably euros there but there's been a huge take up of retrofitting Is that a grant? So if you're investing X number of um, pounds or euros into your project then the government match it? Is that is that what you're um, I, I'm so, for example, they're giving 7,500 7, towards air source heat pumps, right. um, which is the only funding that I can see at the moment. There is some funding for one measure if you have an EPC rating of between A and... Uh, not, mm, the EPC rating has to be, mm, what is it, below a D, and then your and then your council tax band has to be between an A and a D for you to qualify. And in fact, in London, that just means it's a flat. You don't. You're not going to qualify. Most houses are not going to qualify. Most of the it, most of the people who've got, yeah. That I mean, I'm sure there are houses that are that are um, a D, and uh, but you know. It, the type of clients that I'm meeting generally, their houses are an E or an F or a G in terms Drafty. of the council. Yeah. Council. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Well, they, those are really good ideas. I hope that you do enough championing that they get put into into place with ACAM behind you. I, I'm sure that might be possible. Yeah. Well, I hope <laughs> so. I've got. I, I have got a. I want to meet Ed Binderband. That's my next. That's one of next my mission. goals. Okay. <laughs> Well, I expect a photo with him and uh, a reform. Well, um, he's the the thing is that he's so I, he's really on board with this. And, uh, he does. I have heard him do. He's got his own podcast, which is um, um, 
what's it called? Reasons to be cheerful, which I listen to quite often. And he, you know, um, they've done quite a few on retrofitting and he's had some really good people on there. So he knows all about this stuff. That's great. Uh, I look forward to looking that up myself. And just as a sort of a, a parting uh, question, really, to, to bring it all together, perhaps, if you were to start your journey again uh, with NB and you were um, looking at yourself a few years ago, you were, or you're looking at a friend or someone you know who's thinking about starting up their own practice with a sustainability focus, what would be your advice to them? What would be your top tips? Uh, definitely do... If they're thinking about retrofitting, if they're involved in working with existing buildings, retrofitting is definitely something that is absolutely worth looking at. And um, there are a lot of good courses out there. There's the Retrofit Academy, there's the AECB. Um, you know, there's there's quite a few courses in retrofitting. And, and, and I think if you're working with existing buildings, it's really worth um, exploring that because for me, I hadn't, it, it's also, you know, it helps to, for me, it helped to bridge the gap between uh, across 10 years of not being in the industry. So there's that. ACAN didn't exist when I started up, but it does now. So I would definitely go onto the ACAN platform. They've got lots of, lots of resources there and they're doing a lot to educate the industry. Um, and it's great to be part of that. Those are my key top tips, I think. Great. <laughs> Okay, Natalie. Well, and if um, people wanted to get in touch with you about um, some of your projects or some of the work you're doing um, to further uh, the understanding of natural materials in particular, or any other reason, selfies, etc., how would the best way to get in touch? <laughs> what... um, well, they can just. I've got. I've got an Instagram. Um, I've got. Uh, platform I've on LinkedIn um, and I've got my website so those are all they've all got my contact details they can get to me through those three avenues fantastic brilliant well thank you for your time today really interesting and uh, lots to keep promoting within sustainability great thank you very much for inviting me and that's a wrap on this episode of architects of ambition I'm Lyndon Dover thanking you for joining us on this podcast proudly presented by Weaver where connections are more than just blueprints. They're the building blocks of reality. Until next time, stay ambitious and keep designing those dreams.